And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 117. (laughs) (laughs) Episode number 117, and our book is Yarrick, the Imperial Creed, the first book from the Yarrick Omnibus. It tells tells the beginning adventures of his youth when he was but a wee baby bale eye. (laughs) Actually, it was the pre-bale eye. Is pre Bailey. Uh, we posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, our site, or encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning if you haven't yet read the book, definitely check it out before listening to this episode, as we'll be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail. As always, did you enjoy the book, Carrie? Um, for the most part, yes. I struggled in some places and um, but I mean for the most part uh, kind of when the betrayal happened I was like now I'm in this (laughs) because I did not see that coming (laughs) fair that's fair Um, there's some good parts I really do overall I like Annandale's style um, you can tell that this was one of his earlier works. He's definitely yes. matured into his voice a little bit better, I think. Um, again, if we kind of like take a step back and like, oh, very interesting. Um, there were some things that I really liked. Some things are in parts I really struggled with. Um, what parts stood out to you? Oh, wow. So this is like over 10 years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, well... Several parts stood out for me. Um, first of all, I would have to say, I think it was like, so in my Imperial Creed, page 177, it was when um, the Sister Superior realized that this Cardinal was not a good person. Yeah, that one. Yeah. We're, I liked that scene in general as well. Yeah, like, it was just this one line. The density of absurdity in Wagenheim's demise demands made it difficult to know which idiocy or crime to address first you know because when the sisters showed up i was like okay this could go either way because they could be like you know hazy ecclesiarchy everything he says goes or they could be cool and i'm glad that they were cool (laughs) it definitely could have gone um a very different way um i I did. I liked a lot of the stuff with Sathano. 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 That's how I pronounced it. Sathano. Let's go with Sathano. Sathano. Um, but not Sephiroth. Um, no, not Sephiroth. I, I actually liked a lot of scenes with her. Um, similar scene with her. It, this is actually said from Yarrick's point of view, but it's when Yarrick is kind of, he's kind of reminiscing on the Imperial Creed. And he talks about how it has uh, that that it's a faith of many facets, like it's it's a faith of discipline, it's a faith of fire, of vengeance, but it has nothing to do with hope. Oh, damn! That's a. I think, that was, a I think that was in the epilogue, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, damn, son. <laughs> he has a he has a very grim view on the world, uh, which is both interesting for a commissar, but also I think very pragmatic. Of him. Mm-hmm. Um, Sethano in general, there were a lot of parts with her that I thought were just really well written, well done. Um, 
and I'll actually say this right now as a part that stood out to me. We're going to talk a lot about this later because this is a very rare book for this. By and large, he pulled off the first person. Yes. Because I wasn't sure when it started off in the first person and then he kept going back to the third with others. I was like, how is this going to work? It actually worked very, very well. It did. It's very hard Um, to do, I think, to pull up that many different points of view, especially not just points of view, but first person versus third person points of view. It's one thing to do multiple third person points of view across characters. It's another to have different styles of POV with different characters is very well done. Right. I actually had put this at the bottom, but we can probably talk about this one really quickly here about that. This is one of the rare books told in first person. You know, does it work? Uh, did it make it more compelling? I would say yes. And I'll actually say right now, I think it works better than the Ravner books. Okay. Well, first of all, the Ravner books are terrible. So let's just go on ahead. Now, Ravner was, Ravner was another one, right? That also had first person plus third person. Yeah. Yes. And it was because Dan Abnett said he deeply regretted doing Eisenhorn in first person because it's hard to write a book in first person because you can't be like, meanwhile, back at the corral. Right. <laughs> happening all these conversations. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. You are limited to your first person. And so I've always thought that Kane, Sandy Mitchell, does it very well because he goes into like the various historical texts, right? Sola's memoirs and all of this right. like fun stuff that he does to basically have third person and first person and to move away well, from Well, because Kane. he never mentions things that don't directly affect him. And that's just not a good story. Sa- it kind of cracked me like, up. <laughs> Ravener felt like a plot device where Abnett was like, okay, I want us to hear from Ravener's point of view, but I also have like so much that I need to get to out and there's just no way to do it in first person. So well, we're just moving over to the third person. Um, This though felt a lot more... <laughs> natural i guess it did i'm sure it was the exact same thing where he's like i want us to know yark but i also want you to show you what's going on over here um but it didn't feel as oh, i'm just gonna do this in first and third i don't know how to ex- i don't know how to explain i think it. what made it work is because unlike what happened with ravener in this one when he switched characters he kept it third person limited so we only knew what they were thinking it was from their point of view and they like it could have been first person from for them as far as we knew as well uh, i think that's why it worked he didn't go third person omniscient all the way around that's true you know what i think you're right and i think that might sum up why it felt like it worked um and it also it did feel like so a lot of the stuff with yarick that i noticed was that a lot of his character development and his characterization comes from his interactions with other people Mm -hmm. so i think that too was a nice i think that also made the third person work really well whereas like eisenhorn and ravener are narrating through their point of view and you learn everything that you need to about them from them personally so i think this kind of worked i think that might be why it kind of worked for this i i didn't hate it usually when i see the first person that bounces to the third person i'm like "Mm mm-hmm yeah, I was too, but I was like, no, this actually works. It's fine. It actually works. I think it also ups the stakes in the 40k universe a little bit, too. If that makes sense. Like because how? um, what the constant joke is that nobody would want to live in the 40k universe, right? Everyone wants to go to Hogwarts and everyone wants to go to the Star Wars universe, but nobody wants to go to the 40k universe. Hell no. Have you read the books? 
Um, I don't know if I there really is go to Star Wars. To be to be huh? fair, I don't know if I want to go to Star Wars either. To be fair, I mean it's not sunshine and roses there either. No, but they have some planets that are you know civilized and good, and there's no chances of a warp beast just springing out because the locals got a little pissy with the government <laughs> and decided to start worshiping, you know, the Tyranids or the Slaneshis or whatever, what have you. Um, I feel like it's a little bit more stable. In that, I don't in know. That there's sense. always the threat of the, you know, the uh, Imperials or whatever form of that is appearing now. Right. But... And I will say this, as the movies have consistently shown through the lens of Coruscant, nothing changes for them, depending on who's ruling. The people are like, everything's still vibrant. Everything's still thriving. The same people are running around. Like, it doesn't really change. Like, the statues change, but nothing else really changes. <laughs> I have a whole TED talk on this. Um, <laughs> but I'm throwing this out there. There's, I have an entire thing on this. Yeah, Anyways. that's a whole thing. Like, whatever happened to Coruscant after that because they never go back there like ever pretty much never do but they established that at the end it's a basically the same as in the beginning in the prequels it's just like nothing really changed for them they were just like oh yay that statue comes down and there's Let's put up a new one and there's no jedi tower and okay yeah cool. basically, but like how many buildings have been destroyed in dallas that you're like Meh. just throwing this out there <laughs> food is for thought anyways um i think we see things through third person a lot and it really does reiterate that these aren't real people like nah, this universe is probably it's scary but for some reason for me reading through first person and the people who are like well this is just kind of how it is and uh oh yeah look at that now we've got demons and corruption and it always makes me be like oh, i do not want to live in this world the first person makes it a little realer i guess for me and every time like there were parts throughout this book where i was like oh yes that uh i'm all the way good thank you just the way that he thinks about the world and he thinks about people. Well, I mean, it just, it shows, it really emphasizes the whole thing about, you know, in the, in the grim, the grim dark future, there is only war. It's like, there is no peace anywhere. No, no. Unless you live on like with, on like McCrag and even then. I mean, McCrag, I guess that would probably Maybe. be the safest place, safest place to live. Probably. Reading. And mean, even then um, it's like, cause I, uh, uh, comparatively speaking. Because I can't even say a random agro world, right? Because Lords of Silence, <laughs> they were just doing right. their own farming thing and whelp. When, no, you are not, sirs and madams. <laughs> um, I mean, like I say that like McCrag is probably like the best. McCrag, like, is, you know, McCrag is Coruscant saying it right now. Uh, you know what? Basically, yes. And you know what? Like, again, though. It's it's compared to the other options out there. Like <laughs> it still ain't great. Um, so overall, though, this book, as you mentioned, this is Bailey before he's Bailey. This is him at his youth and his start. Um, do you think it was important? Does it, does it add to his mythos, as it were, to know about him as a young commissar? Was it compelling? I guess it kind of shows like him the shaping. Actually, what I I was doing a lot of um, kind of contrast here with, you know, Caiaphas Cain, right? Because, I mean, Caiaphas Cain, like, we can debate again if we really want to, but we don't about him being a coward or not. The thing mm -hmm. is, he's very funny. And yes. he, um, 
he has different motivations for keeping people alive. <laughs> Whereas, you know, um, Yarick takes things as he takes it personally. It's a duty to push. But he's also one of those commissars that's like, I'm not going to go kill people at the drop of a hat either. Like he could have killed Captain Saltern at the very beginning because he wasn't being a good leader. And instead he was just like, lead, like gave him a chance to move forward, which is, I think, something that Kane, Kane would have done. But, you know, how many commissars have we seen? They're just like, oh, God, especially if you read uh, the Minkalesque. Holy crap. Those commissars have the itchiest trigger fingers imaginable. They're looking for anything. Like they're talking about how they even had like, they'd be bragging to each other how many they killed that day. Like, <laughs> it's insane. Or what was that horror novel? Uh, the three, you know what I'm talking Enemy about? Enemy in the Trenches? Or is it Beast in the Trenches? Um, from. Is that collection? Wick, There's three. Wicked and. The Wicked and the Damned. The wicked, and, wicked and the Damned. Yeah, it's that, one of my favorite things ever. And that Josh Reynolds story. So that, that commissar who was seeing blue eyes in people and was just shooting them because they had blue eyes. That's kind of usually what we see. So it's kind of nice to see Yarek, who was like, he's a, we all know he's very fearsome. I mean, he, Gazkul Thraka is like, this is my guy, keeping him alive because we need to have a good, you know, a good rival. Uh, so he could be like an itchy guy with itchy trigger finger. So it was kind of, interesting to see that he did have his moments right because he did kill that colonel and i'm not sure he had to but that he still he tries to he but there's still like enough canish in him that he's like i do care a bit like he was you know even though he was saying it's like oh he, he figured out that saltern and all of them were looking for him he's like no you shouldn't look for me whatever dude you're looking for them too but um he actually he actually d does care and you know kane's like i only care so they keep me alive no he cares he cares too so it's nice to see a commissar that actually does care and wants to see his regiment succeed right i actually got to the end of this book and i was like oh he's like a serious commissar Kane. so commissar Kane is and you and i have talked about this a lot it's not just that the books are funny and that he personally is funny they are a little satirical of the 40k world, right? He tells a great, strong 40k story, but there's a lot of satire put in there. And it's done so respectfully and so lovingly. And it's it's great, right? But it there is it's a it's it's a touch farcical, right. right? As you read through it. And that's its point. That's what makes them so delightful. This almost feels like David Annadale was like, I'm gonna write Commissar Keen, but serious as a serious member of this. And I absolutely, he reminds me a lot of, uh, from the Gaunt's Ghost series, he reminds me a lot of Victor Hark, where he takes this very seriously. He takes his, his role seriously. He knows he's a very important part of the machine. But as you said, he's not malicious. He's not vindictive. And he's certainly not power hungry. Mm -hmm. And he's not the, I'm going to kill ever. Like it's the, uh, it's that old joke. Um, the beatings will continue until morale, morale improves. improves. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like the commissars, he's not the, I'll just keep shooting people until morale improves. Like he's not that guy. He is pragmatic. And I thought it was interesting to see because I think a lot of Yarick's tale has grown largely through memes and other online things, right? And then of course there was the Warhammer Plus uh, thing with older Bailey. 
so great. very so great so amazing so funny but he has become this larger than life figure and it's actually just really refreshing to see him again first person point of view so it humanizes him even more mm-hmm. but just as like just like this guy this guy who's a good commissar he walks the walk he believes what he's supposed to believe he does the things he's supposed to he has some restraint but then he also has to make some snap judgments like he's just he's just like this guy in the 40k universe and i actually thought that was kind of that was kind of neat and like kane he thought this was a simple mission and then it wasn't (laughs) and then it really wasn't and then it really 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 wasn't i mean this really had like a lot of the formula of kane as far as things going plane shaped yes he does share the tendency that Sandy Mitchell does to be like, oh man, this was bad. And then it got worse. <laughs> if I had any idea what was going to happen next. And I say that so lovingly, but you're not wrong. That's why I said again, it felt like narratively, the structure even felt like a, like a cane book, mm-hmm. but super serial he's super serial right now he's super serial right now you guys um what did you think of the other commissars in the commissariat what did you think about how they portrayed or discussed the commissariat in this book through his lens i mean i really enjoyed learning you know uh like him and his you know kind of um cohort uh seraph you know with with their lord commissar who is actually like a really who's also a decent guy right Mm mm-hmm like he was just like you don't have to shoot everybody. He's like watch and learn, you know, because um, you want to be there. You want to inspire your regiment. You want, you know, to be the morale instead of the beatings will continue. Be the inspiration. And so I, I really, really like that. I liked how Seraph was like he was a good soldier, but he had a lot of. I thought he was almost like had too many questions, right? To be a good commissar. That I actually thought they, little... I thought that they killed him, and it kind of made me sad. But then they didn't kill Kraus, and that made me mad. You had lots of feelings. I did. That's fair. I like a good book that has feelings. Um, yeah, and I think that also, I thought that was a really good, it did feel a little bit like, almost like a little bit of meta commentary from Annandale, and quite frankly, necessary. Mm. Um this idea that I think a lot of people take the commissariat, as you said, like your job is morale. So yes, if people are going to turn traitor, it is your job to kill them. It is your job to make sure that people stay on track and that people are, you know, following mm-hmm. the Imperial creed, but you are there for morale. You have to be able to read a room and read a situation and your sidearm is not always the answer to the problem. Right. And I think, I think there's a lot of bad commissars out there, just like you have bad managers in life, exactly. right? <clears throat> Who go around and kill people in the office every now and then to boost morale. Um, it feels so weird to compare that, like, managers in real life, but well, you know what I mean. Like, it makes just me a- think of the um, demotivation poster that says, you know, to improve office morale, we just fire all the unhappy people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And it's like people who are going through the motions. They don't really understand why they're doing what they're doing. Well, I killed the guy. Why? Morale was down. <laughs> why didn't you talk to him? I'm supposed to kill people. <laughs> okay, let's back up. 
I did like it was nice to see that Yarick wasn't this like lone bastion of rationale. Nope. There there were there were several people like him in mm-hmm. that role and of that mindset of this is, this isn't we're not just here to be the murderers of the Legion. Um, kind of as Kane has always said, right? That um they're not you can't be like they'll kill you they'll kill you if you're yeah. too evil they'll yeah. kill you if you're too heavy-handed one of the favorite lines i think when he talks about he's like you know how most commissars and they wonder how they come under friendly fire exactly <laughs> exactly and i like um uh, of course he has the bit where he's talking about um why in the very first book right where he's like everybody's excited to see him and he's like oh no this is how bad things have gotten <laughs> You can see why. And I yeah. really liked that Annandale, he resisted. I think it would have been very easy to be like, look at Yarick being the good rational guy, but look at this evil Lord Commissar over here. No, 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 no. He had plenty of other stuff going on elsewhere that he didn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can show that Yarick had a good trainer. Yarick, he came up, he came up right. Um, I liked that. I thought that was I thought that was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, if I were to describe this book, like give it a you know like the category that it falls under, I would call it as a political drama. <laughs> See, imperial political drama. Uh, was it compelling? Does it talk about the imperium? What does it say about the imperium at large? It says that the ecclesiarchy sucks. Uh, just, you know, kind of emphasizes that for me. Um, Fair. St- stupid. <clears throat> you know, they're, you know, because like I'm still irritated with Frater Matthew. I just don't like the ecclesiarchy, which is like, you know, hard, you know, since they're supposed to like you know, emulate the like, Christianity. But what I see it, what it really emulates is when you got these higher ups, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, Canterbury Tales, where they talk about the prioress and the nun having all of this jewelry. Right. But they're supposed to be like, you know, of the people and be worldly and not be selfish. And then you see this, the Ecclesiarch is the same thing. They're, they are the literal fat cats at the top at the top of the tower. And while you know, we have seen on occasion that they're not all that bad, but we just kind of notice that when they get into positions of power, which is what I think we even see in the Catholic Church, not that I really follow Catholic politics, but I know that shit happens in the Vatican with the cardinals and all that drama. Um, so some of this, I always feel like Warhammer 40k is a commentary on on that. Um, it is. Well, yeah, but you know, just like Canterbury Tales, you know, he was, very much, so. yeah, like because Chaucer was pretty much saying <laughs> these people aren't good people who are who are heads of the church, and that's a, and that's unfortunate. Like we. It, who are the people that we see that are good? It's the people that don't have power. It's the priests of the local churches who are taking in people and, you know, doing what you're supposed to do in a church and uh, help them, give them food, give them medicine, you know, uh, pray for them. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. you got these cardinals that come up there and they're, I don't know why they're always so fat. It's probably because they don't do anything and they just eat because they have all this stuff. And so, and I'm watching how this cardinal <clears throat> decides he wants political power, which technically is not supposed to happen at all, just like they're not supposed to have an army. Right. And um, put all so these, totally do. 
right put all these taxes on these nobles when it's like dude you're not planetary governor you have no place in doing this to the point that you have you know as yark rightfully pointed out this was he created the situation 100 percent if he hadn't been like trying to put his thumb on everybody to choke them on out and become ruler of the world while wielding the name of the emperor uh, Von Shen may not have listened to that preacher, right? But when you right. get people that are desperate, and of course, you know, one thing we always talk about, people that turn to chaos, and I'm watching this. He's a noble. He's got the manufactorum. He's had wealth, right? Why? Well, I don't understand how you go from that and being like, yes, sacrificing people. That's cool. And everybody's like, yes, you know what? That is cool. We'll self-mutilate. That works for us. I don't understand how you get to that point, like, with, with chaos, that that's cool. Like, when he's sawing off his own nose, like, what is going on here? Uh, All I could picture was Skeletor. <laughs> right? And it made me think back on that um, one, I never can remember it. I remember the author's name, because it's Tchaikovsky, because I just found it funny, uh, the um, oh, yeah, with the Gene Stealers, the Gene Stealers book. How bad have you made stuff that they think turning to that is better? Well, and that's and when then we also read that book with uh, the Tao, where it's there are a lot of desperate people in this universe, mm. and there are a lot of desperate people on these worlds, and all of a sudden somebody comes selling salvation, and. It's it. very easy to start mistaking, right? But like, makes yeah, me think whole... of uh, Animal Farm with that crow that was talking about, you know, Sugar Candy Mountain. Oh, exactly. Exactly. People start coming, telling you about salvation, telling you about better things, right? Um, and I understand and wanting until... better things, but it's like when you bring the self mutilation in, like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Are we sure that this is where we're going for like, better things? Like, I don't like pain. <laughs> And blood's really messy. Like, do we have to do like, I, I just don't get it. Um, and for a penny and for a pound, right? God. Got a literal pound of flesh. Uh, no one think your nose would weigh a pound. Well, no, but he was just from uh, yeah. all the other sacrifices. Oh, all the other stuff. It just, whoo. But I think that's the problem with chaos, right? Is it starts to corrupt you and all of a sudden you're like, I mean, it makes sense. Like, well, you have to cut off your nose to prove your devotion. Uh, that tracks. <laughs> like, I, I think it, it also comes into, because I think within the Imperium, suffering is so ingrained within these people. What is the difference between, I'm having, I, I only had one car bar today because there was a shipment that was delayed, so I'm going to have to wait until tomorrow and I'm fucking starving. Um, what's the difference between that and cut off your own nose? Start making these sacrifices. Like, once, <laughs> yes, Miss Honey, do you, have a, do you have a comment? Yeah, there's a there's a big problem. There's a big difference. <laughs> I'm saying that if you're a denizen of 40k, <laughs> like it's going to bed hungry one night is not the same thing as cutting off your own nose. It's just I I don't know. I I just think that because it's such a brutalistic world, I think all of a sudden some crazy shit starts to make sense. <laughs> You just start looking at it and you're like, I mean, I guess, like, we have done some bonkers stuff. Um, 
the stuff that we civilized human beings uh, find to be. But again, like you're, I don't think you're wrong. And it actually reminded me a lot of it. something. This book actually retroactively made me a little bit disappointed in another David Annandale book we read, which was Deacon of Wounds. Hmm. Because it kind of has the same journey, right? Their main character, mm. that Deacon, kind of has a similar journey of, you know, creating his own problem. Like, congratulations, there was a little bit of a problem and then you made it really big. But um, I, I think that's a common theme. Like, well, because, like again, which, with, with that Gene Steeler's book, for example... Um, and I think we also see that a lot with a lot of the ecclesiarchy. Which is where I was getting with that is it reminds me a lot of the Inquisition. Oh, absolute my God. power corrupts absolutely. You know, you get these people who are in these positions so, and all of a sudden they're the authority. They're the word of the emperor. So going back to another David Annandale book, uh, Sons of Titan. I know I've mentioned that many, many times. I haven't in a while. It, the great the great knights were in the area because of a prognosticator said something was going to happen they ended up making that thing happen on accident trying to find what the prognosticator was was saying what does master ugwe tell us and they uh, released kugoth their destiny on the road to avoid it whole movie wouldn't have happened had they just listened to master uguay just saying no but it's it is it's a thing of i think it's also i think once you get to these people who get into these key positions we see it a lot with inquisitors we see it a lot with the ecclesiarchy where you are the authority nobody can question you it's heresy to question you um you do see them start to maneuver into these spheres of thinking and creating their own problems and taking what was probably a small problem and then just magnifying it and making it worse and just losing touch entirely about, and we've talked about this a lot with a lot of books. They just lose track entirely of what's going on with the commoners. <laughs> um, because again, what does it matter to them? They're, they're at the top of the pyramid. They give a shit what's going on at the bottom of the pyramid. And um, the answer is that you should care a lot. And I think this is yet another book that just shows that because of the 40K universe, and I, under I understand, but we've often said that the Imperium is their own worst enemy because they work in absolutes and they have. Well, that it's just the, um, the haves and the have nots is so yeah. great and you have so many more have-nots than have oh my gosh so many more and you live in this i mean again what have we always said about the appearing when people are like oh it's a fascist dictatorship yes um when you have this brutalistic government because it has to be again i understand you're fighting literal chaos um it just creates, it's its own worst enemy because right. you have such a black and white society where we can't question this. We can't tell people about this. We have, we brook zero arguments with everything that we do. And we have these certain people that we have basically given the absolute power. Yeah, it's a very fertile ground 
for problems. And I think this right, book they don't actually... tell people about chaos and the evils of chaos because they shouldn't know. And then people discover it and they're like, well, this sounds better than that. You know, if they had been warned about it, maybe they wouldn't have fallen to it. Maybe they would have attracted to it. Who knows? Right. But they make that decision right. for them. That's that's, you know, we're, we're, that's where the fascist part comes in. Right. They make that decision for the people of what they're allowed to know. Like, um, right. I mean, that God, I'm so bad with names. Like, I swear to God, we read so many books and the characters names just fall out of my head. I swear. That's fair. Uh, um, but so the guy who, who Gulliman brought on in Dark Imperium, he's basically his um, like a like a remem- remembrancer, but he's not. Well, oh, he, he's the he's the leader of the librarians, uh, or like the not the li- not the librarians, yeah. but like the uh, what is the word that he's called? Historiators. Historiators. Yes. Um, but he, you know, got in trouble because he was writing in a journal. Right. Oh God, I have to look this up now. Miriam, was it Fabian something? Fabian something. It's um because it, it's the Logos Historica Verita, and it's. Fabian and he's BFFs with uh, Lucerne. With, yeah, that Templar. Fabian Gilfrain. Oh, I'm surprised I pulled Fabian out of my ass. No, that's impressive. It would have taken me another 10 minutes to think of that one. <laughs> um, no, the same I, thing. I, like, they were going to like execute him for having a journal, just for possibly thinking. Like, uh, And there's that Warhammer Plus uh, animated series that one but that guy who has to count the books and he starts noticing there's a book that's not supposed to be there but he can't say anything because then they'll kill him for it and then what happens he you know the book eats him basically and his skin becomes the book it's yeah it's just uh like (laughs) as it happens (laughs) it's almost like a cautionary tale this is why you should never ask questions um, I actually, and this goes back to this part of the po- the politics. Um, I actually think this is another part that kind of stood out to me is this idea that um, we really got to see some of the, I don't have a better word for this, but I guess domestic side of 40K with like the after dinner parties and like all of the stuff that the, the normal human stuff they were doing, obviously in the haves quadrant, not the have nots, right? But we get to see a lot of just all of the scheming and the human weakness, the human frailty Mm -hmm. that exists. And as you said, because there's no questioning, because there's none of this, all of this stuff just basically goes unchecked and uncommented upon. Also, I do like the idea that you don't always have to have chaos to have just evil people. Human frailty again. It's a real thing. The Cardinal was evil. 100%. I would even argue that the Inquisitor is. He's not a good person. No, no, the Inquisitor. I did appreciate that he showed up just to be like, oh, by the way, if you don't like these guys, wait to get a load of me. Like, oh, yeah, y'all all suck, don't you? But it's really funny to me, too, on that, because I just compared them to the Inquisitors. I think that the Inquisition and the Ecclesiarchy are like two sides of the same thing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Way agree. too much power. Way too much power unchecked. Um, way too much un- what? unquestioned power. Gulliman hates them both. Um, Which is why he's my guy. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see the lion be like, I'm sorry. Who are you? Because, you know, he's back. 
just in case everybody else forgot that too, because Black Library definitely has. Um, I'm not bitter. You are. Stop projecting. Um, we have to talk about the other thing that we mentioned very briefly, but sisters. Did you like these sisters? I did were like these sisters. Were they too much? Were they too little? They were not too much. I thought they were just right. I will agree with that. They were the baby bear of the sisters. They were just That's right. Fair. That was fair. We didn't have any wristing. No. They were a little fanatical. A little bit, but they weren't stupid. And they weren't, they were fanatical, but not the like blind zealot fanatical. Yes. And I like that distinction. Yes. I feel like we just don't get that enough with the sisters. I th- I have decided that the sisters need a subtle touch. And not a lot of authors are equipped to give them that subtle touch. Congratulations, David Annadale. You're now one of those people. Now, it could be because this goes back to one of my big theories about the sisters. Side supporting characters. Books where they're the main characters. Unless it's Danny Ware where writing about the rose. I was going to say, like, hold on a second. <laughs> if it's Danny Ware writing about the rose, then mwah, flawless. Uh, anything else, they need to be side characters. Um, but yeah, these these ones show up as side characters. I thought they were very reasonable. Again, Sethano. 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 Um, I don't know why sure. I struggled with this name so much. Because it's a weird um, name. It is a weird name. I like it. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I thought Sethano was a great character. I liked a lot of the interactions. Um, I don't know about you. I knew from the I knew from the book description that there were going to be sisters, but as soon as they showed up, I was like, "Oh, great! Here we go." Pleasantly surprised. I was so, like I said earlier, I was also hesitant, especially to come with a relic. Right? I'm like, here we go. Here we go. You know, they got a relic. <sighs> right. And they're like, you know, supposed to be on the side of the ecclesiarchy. Great. So they're going to think that everything that he is doing is just amazing. And they're going to defend him to the death. And then, well, they weren't stupid. Right. They weren't. And I like that concept. Because too often, the sisters get portrayed as just being these mindless zealots who just follow the ecclesiarchy and do whatever they say. And I do appreciate a good book that shows that, yes, yes, they they are an arm of the ecclesiarchy, but these are still, they're still their own thing, and they're still their own people, and they still have brains. Well, it's the same thing with the Grey Knights, right? When they, yes. like, blindly follow the in- Inquisition, it's like, oh, my God, you guys. But then when you find that one group that's like, no, you know what? I question this. Right. Exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always really nice to see. And it's always a, um, it's just, it, it, again, it goes back to that human touch and that human element, right? That these are actually people. They're not just little stereotypes that we punched out of a sprue. Um, and here's just what they are. Um, tabletop humor. Uh, I enjoyed that. Again, I was very concerned, but Thought he handled them very well. Mm-hmm. I would like to see more of the sisters fighting alongside Yarrick. Yes. Specifically the Order of the Piercing Thorn. Yes. Um, I'm deciding that there are more. Like, basically, if it's like a, like a bloody reference, the Bloody Rose, the Piercing Thorn. 
we're probably okay. It's like our martyred later lady, the candlelight. Uh, insert some other stupid stuff like that. Yeah, I hear so the okay. order of our martyred if it, if lady. I'm just like, ugh. If it's if it's militant, if it's got a militant piece to it, if it sounds not comfortable, I like it. <laughs> um, all right. So we kind of mentioned the betrayal piece already. Was that? Did you see it coming? Nope. Not at did all. Did you drop your book? Throw your book? <laughs> no, I was just like, what? <laughs> was it, did it serve, did you like it? Did it serve the overarching narrative? Uh, was it, I don't know how else to say this, but was it satisfying? It was. It was because, um, like I said, like, the book wasn't bad, but... It was kind of dry. Yeah, that's a good way to describe and it. And then that happened. I was like, well, now you got my attention because I was not, I did not see this coming. Um, I had a feeling things were not that simple, but I didn't see uh, this. The Lord Commissar is like one of his closest friends doing this, especially after he, you know, appeared to be like so reasonable at this meeting and he was really trying and, oh, okay. So he's been the guy who's been, kidnapping nobles and dragging their families out of their houses what is wrong with you like okay i just it was so disappointing it's like it we, so we start piecing together all the awful stuff that he has done or under his directions like i i can't believe you would have done this so going back to my earlier statements about how very pleasant it was to see people who were reasonable and then that happened mm -hmm. <laughs> It was kind of funny because I, when I got to that part, I was just like, really? 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 Like, I felt like Tyra Banks. We were all rooting for you. We liked you. Um, they, I, I didn't really see it coming. I thought it was interesting. It was unfortunate because it was almost like this feeling of, yeah, you remember how reasonable and rational he seems? That shit doesn't really last in the 40K universe. Sometimes it like, does. Right? I feel like sometimes it does, but I feel like sometimes it, does, it doesn't. And maybe this maybe this rationale, reasonableness was just a facade. Which, in the 40K universe, what better way to hide in the open right, than through being just a really reasonable guy? Um, that was amazing, though, is like as soon as he dealt his hand, how fast the degeneration kind of set in. It was almost like, you know, the powers that be knew that they needed to hold back. And then when he was released, it's like, and you're ugly. <laughs> you're transforming. I just pictured it looking like that scene in The Last Crusade. I was actually picturing rapid, it. Rapid, rapid deterioration. You're no, like, <laughs> I, actually, you know what? It's probably because I just saw this movie not too long ago. I was thinking of that one bad guy in Robocop that had the chemicals poured on him. That's kind of what I thought of. Fair. <laughs> Robocop is a cinematic masterpiece, and I will brook no arguments. You know, after seeing it again, uh, yeah. Did you know that it was filmed in Detroit? No, it wasn't. 
Uh, for those who don't know, it was filmed in Dallas and it's a trigger issue for Carrie. No, it's just funny because the first time I ever saw it, so I didn't see, sorry, digression here. I did not see RoboCop until like, oh my God, like what, five years ago for the first time. It was when a friend came in town and he couldn't believe I'd never seen it before. First, he made me watch Bloodsport, which is fucking terrible. And I won't brook no argument on that. And then we, he's like, well, you got to watch RoboCop. I'd never seen it before. And uh, Susan showed the background of the city. I was like, oh, my God, that's downtown Dallas. And my friend was a little drunk. Little. Little drunk. Bitch. He was like, no, it's not. It's New Detroit. I was like, no, seriously, I used to work in that building. Shh, you're ruining the magic. It's New Detroit. And so that just kind of became like a big joke. Because like even now when I saw it recently, I was still laughing. It's like so downtown Dallas anyway anyways yeah um it, it is the 80s action film at its finest um, it's true it is it, <laughs> it, it oh, I, I yeah and I the, and like I was telling you I was like when I saw it recently I was like you know what we talk about how violent movies are now I would say they were worse back then because there was some stuff that happened to that I was like oh oh damn like that's serious like when he sh- like when uh, Red Foreman, I never remember the actor's name, Kurtwood Smith. Yeah, something like that. Wonderful, wonderful character actor. He is, but I he's just Red Foreman to me, and he uh, shot off his hand. I was like, whoa, okay. Like they wouldn't show it like that today. So it's oh, man, the eighties were hardcore, man. Can you fly, Bobby? <laughs> um, that's whenever I see that actor, that's all I think of is him. Can you fly, Bobby? Uh, also, that is the quintessential Ronnie Cox movie. Fight me. Um, <laughs> moving back to what we were talking about, though. Um, so then moving out of the betrayal into the, just the ending in general. Was it satisfying? Did you read, like, did you get to the end and were like, yeah, that was good. Or did it feel abrupt? Honestly, it kind of reminded me of the ending of Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. That's totally fair. You know, just, well, that was the end of this day. Time to move on to the next. That is something that the Gaunt's Ghost books have always done very well, too, where it has a good ending. It's a, you know, everything wraps well, up I mean, somewhat neatly, but then... The good guys won, but, like, is Kraus going to do an exterminatus? I bet he will, because he's just that much of an ass. I mean, he was torturing he a poor soldier... For information that the guy didn't have. Exactly. If he's going to do that to some soldier that we know that something is not 100% right, which, of course, it didn't take a genius to figure out he was a psyker. And I'm just glad that they didn't kill him. Um, I guess technically we'll see what happens to him in the school of Psychana, right? Right. Uh, but, but man, when they talked about like what happened with Krauss... Like, I really thought that demon killed him. I was like, okay, good. Maybe this planet has a chance. And nope, nope, he lived. I'm like, well, now the planet's dead because he is just that zealous or thorough, overly thorough. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure they would call it thorough and efficient. Uh, he's Ordo Hereticus. I don't know if they ever said, but I'm going to guess he's Ordo Hereticus the way he's constantly looking for witches everywhere at every every turn. Probably a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, but I did, I, to your earlier point with Full Metal Jacket, I did think that it's, it reminded me a lot of a Gaunt's Ghost Book, where it's like, here's an ending, everything's good, good, um, 
now on to the next shit show. Mm -hmm. Like, it just, life goes on. This was just one of many adventures in this man's career. Because we know, obviously, we know, like, he's going on to do bigger and better things. But just this idea of, and on to the next one. Like, there's, there's no rest for the wicked. Um, and Or the weary. Or the weary. That's true, that too. Um, they... At first, though, like, and it got to the end, I was like, oh, wow, okay, that's it. That's wrapped up. But then to your point, and continue on now. On to the next nightmare. No, see what, you happens, see what happens to Rasp. I feel so bad for that guy. Oh, my God. I'm excited in that I want to, like, I, you know, I'd like to know what happens to Rasp. Um, and I'd like to see, you know, the, what's the next point in... In his career, is Saroth going to be part of that? Or, you know, are they just going to go their separate ways? We're going to see the Sisters of the Piercing Thorn again. I'd like to, like to know that answer. And is the next one where he gets tangled with the orcs and becomes Baali? I don't know. We're going to have to find out. Does but are you excited for the second book? I'm like, are you like, are, are we ready to yeah, get there? Or? I am. Yeah. Continue the story. It's not one of those ones where it's like, oh, God, there's more of this. I ask you right as you take a slug of tea. I know, right? But, uh, yeah, this isn't one of those where I'm just like, do we, do we have to read like the rest of the omnibus? I don't feel, I don't feel feel that way at all. Like I did with the Araman series. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's another Araman book coming out, which I'll probably be reading on my own. No, we started it for this podcast. By God, we're going to finish it. Oh, I didn't think you would actually agree to it. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I am invested enough that I'm like, let's watch Sideshow Bob step on the rake again. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, but no, oh. we started it for this podcast. And God, God damn it, we owe it to our loyal viewers that we love all of you. We are going to read this turd. <laughs> it is going to hate every word of it. But again, though, going to see again, how he tries to fix things again. <laughs> even though Ned already established that he found the Black Library already during the Siege of Terra and he was sitting in it. Um, uh, what? Did I not tell you this? <sighs> Anyways, um, moving on to important greener pastures. Mm. We are going to read the Armin book in here, um, but I am, I'm not even, I don't even have hope. Like last time I was like, maybe this will be the book that I like. Nope. I'm going in eyes wide open. Um, well, we got swayed by the pretty collector's edition. Let's, let's be real. All for you. Um, I didn't force I am you excited. to get that collector's edition. Come on. <laughs> uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I want everyone to know that the last book's collector's edition, uh, it came with a little mirror that has a scarab on it. It's really and pretty. that is in my purse. That is my makeup mirror. I take it with me places. Not, I don't wear makeup, but I use it for like other stuff. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have lent that. Like someone will be like, oh, do you have a mirror? And I'm like, I totally do. And they're like, oh, how pretty. <laughs> You're holding it. An artifact of raw chaos. Uh, how, yes, thank you. how are people still asking for a mirror? Don't you have a fucking phone? Well, no, because sometimes you... Anyways, usually hockey girls. Um, and everyone's always like, oh, it's so pretty. And I'm like, 
Stop it. All right. Anyway. Moving on. Yeah. Um, yes. So I am excited that we've added this one into our rotation. I think we have a really nice backlog of old stuff that we found two really or three really good trilogies mm-hmm. that. Actually, I think my first statement was correct. Two really good trilogies and one decent one that we're willing to give a shot to the salamanders. Um, I like the salamanders. This is good. This is good. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> actually, I think I think actually my statement holds true for both of us. Yeah. Just talking about different books. <laughs> Yeah, well, since the Black Library hasn't shipped the books I ordered two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago now? It was two weeks ago. Two Saturdays ago. Okay, hold on. Like, I, I know it was, but I also don't believe you. Um, This is what to deal with people. I know, it's true. Uh, oh my God, you're right. It was February 10th. Has it shipped? No, of course not. I just want to read the Big Daka. Like the Big Daka and the uh, Legion of Lord Night? Of Night. Lord of Night. Lord of Night by Simon Spurrier. I mean, I'm excited. looking forward to both of those and um, nothing. So we're jumping back into this bad boy. We're going to go into Enso because I cannot find. I cannot find Blood Reaver. I found two copies of Soul Hunter, but could not find Blood Reaver. We're going to be reading it out of uh, the mm. Omnibus as well. So now we'll have the same. This thing is a tome, y'all. Yeah, it is a tome. This is actually generally my uh, microphone stand. <laughs> because it's, it's nice. It's, it's like pages are so yellowed. Why is that? Does anybody know why this happens? Like, no. In a certain third? Like, it happens. I don't have that. I have this minor dingier than they should be. I have this like on a lot of Omnibuy where there's just like just this one third. And I don't understand why. What's going on in Texas? I don't have that on my Omnibuy, but I will say that these pages are yellower than I think they should be because it's not that old of a book. Cheap ass paper. Probably. Probably. Um, but we'll jump back into this one and then back into Salamanders and then back into Yarrick and then rinse and repeat. With a break for the big DACA in between once it actually ships. And then what's that book that can pre-order this weekend? It's the... Enmity's Dark... Edge. It's the Lazarus book. Okay, so the Dark Angels book. Are they going to mention that the lion's back? Probably not. You know, it's better that we don't have hope. <laughs> now we're talking like true citizens of the Imperium. Exactly, exactly. So that way we can be pleasantly surprised instead of disappointed. God damn it, I hate when you're right, but you're right. <laughs> Which when you're right, you're right. And you, you're always right. You're always right. Um, <laughs> it's written by a new author too, Gary Kloster. So when that eventually comes out to us, it's going to be great. But in the meantime, more Night Lords. Yeah, in the meantime, down, more old books. So this is the Black Library's fault, guys. <laughs> Submit all complaints to the Black Library. <laughs> Where they will be promptly circular filed. Oh, I'm sure. Into file 13. <laughs> yeah. Right into the shredder. That's right. So, but thank you all for listening to the Warhammer 40k book club regarding Yar, The Imperial Yar. Creed by David Annandale. Be sure to join us next time for Soul Reaver by Aaron Dembski Bowden. We are Blood an unaf- Reaver. Huh? Blood Reaver. Soul Hunter. Blood oh. Reaver. I, I combined them. Sure. 
Blood. It's a portmanteau. I love it. <laughs> Blood Reaver by Erin Dunsky Bowden. And we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. This should be obvious as much as we complain. Uh, you can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast literally anywhere you get podcasts. And come join our Discord. It's a good time in there. We have a lot of fun discussions and people sometimes share what they're painting and I'm not one of them. I just like to admire what, what other people can do. And our site also has articles about adventures and reading other book club books and short stories outside of the book club books. Ugh, Warhammer 40k books outside of the book club books. I can't talk. So please stay well and read from a crack. I'm not all fairies tonight. I guess I'm part of the Inquisition because everything you have been told is a lie. The beacon is lit. Chartreuse calls for aid. Y'all, it is like this whole podcast. I've just been like, God damn, that's bright. <laughs> Chartreuse is back. Get you some. Good night, everybody. of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve. <laughs>